0: Welcome to episode number 156 of the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I am online editor and I also help out with social media. We have an exciting show for you as usual, but before we begin, I would just like to wish a happy Thanksgiving to all the Canadians around the world. It's Canadian Thanksgiving. We hope you have a restful time and what a great theme of a holiday to give thanks for what we have, to be grateful for what we have. So hope you all had some amazing meals with family and friends. And got a good rest. So, lots going on on the website as usual. But even outside the website, even more things going on. We have the Progressive Mine Forum happening this week, October sixteenth, at the Mars Discovery District in downtown Toronto. We have some incredible speakers that are coming. If you're still interested in attending, I believe you can still get a last minute ticket. Simply go to northernminer.com/pmf2019 and click on the Register Your Interest button. I imagine there's going to be a lot of incredible networking going on there if you're in either mining or technology. And yeah, I mean, that's what this whole conference is about. It's where mining and technology converge. So if you have interest in either of those and want to learn more about the other, this is your conference. So that's northernminer.com slash PMF2019. And also, we had the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. They announced their four new inductees last week. And uh, Northern Miner is a founding member of the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. And we're always very proud to be associated with that organization. And so we're going to go into which four individuals were mentioned, a little bit on their stories. And also, I believe there are tickets that can now be purchased. We'll get into that, as well as metal prices. And finally, our feature interview is with Artem Volinets, who's from Cheret Gold. He goes into the interesting business of mining for gold in the former Soviet Union. And so that's very interesting. You see, every part of the world is different. And you really see in interviews like this, the global reach of the mining industry. I mean, mining is a universal and ancient practice. And so, I mean, this is just another example. And this sort of interview, which Trish Saywell, acting editor-in-chief of the Northern Miner, performs, I mean, this is, again, the kind of content you're only going to find on the Northern Miner website. So I encourage you to listen to this. Again, it's just, if you're into mining, this is uh, boots-on-the-ground type information that you're going to get here. So that's all coming up. If you want to find us online, you can visit us at northernminer.com. Or if you visit us on Twitter, visit us at at Northern Miner or on Instagram at The Northern Miner. And we're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and of course, YouTube. And turning to the website, we are going to look at this Canadian Mining Hall of Fame story. four industry pioneers named to the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. In 2020, the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame will welcome four new inductees, P. Jerry Asp, Alex G. Ballow. Hans T.F. Lundberg, and Hart Ebe Shirkus. The 32nd Annual Induction Dinner will take place on the evening of January 9th, 2020, in Constitution Hall at the Metro Toronto Convention Centre. And I've been to one of these dinners, and they are austere affairs, so if you're... Interested in mining and getting to know the who's who of the mining industry, the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame dinner is basically where everybody shows up. So that's a great one to attend. The Northern Miner is a co-founding sponsor of the Hall of Fame, along with the Canadian Institute of Mining, Metallurgy and Petroleum and the Mining Association of Canada and the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, also known as PDAC, and so if you want more information or you want to get a ticket, visit mininghalloffame.ca slash annual dash ceremony. That's www.mininghalloffame.ca slash annual hyphen ceremony. And so looking at this story, uh, the first indu- of the four inductees is P. Jerry Asp, who was born in 1948 And the write-up here says he's one of Western Canada's most prominent Indigenous leaders and a tireless advocate for the inclusion of Indigenous people in the mining industry. His leadership skills came to the fore in the 1980s during a mineral exploration and mining boom in the Golden Triangle of Northwestern British Columbia. As a chief and member of the Talton Nation, he understood his community's concerns about development taking place on their traditional lands. Yet, having worked in the mining industry since 1965, he also recognized the potential for employment and business opportunities and to build skills and capacity in the community. In 1985, Asp founded the Talton Nation Development Corporation as GM and became president in 1987. Finally, his goal was to negotiate partnerships between the TNDC and mining companies, starting with the Golden Bear Mine, which required a 1.6-kilometer access road across the Talton Territory. The concept was new at the time, but ASP negotiated the first impact benefit agreement in the province's history, which included road construction and other contracts at Golden Bear. And that's just the beginning. But uh, yeah, a real bridge builder, P. Jerry Asp. And that's a hugely important issue in Canada, particularly in the mining industry, is the relationship between indigenous peoples and the mining industry. Again, Bill Gallagher is your guy. Uh, He's the expert on this. And he's been sounding the call for a very long time about how important this is. And you see it in in rulings, uh, in lawsuits and everything. I mean, it's now it's, it's a very real thing, and so this guy was definitely a pioneer here. He was back in the 80s. He was on the case. So you can read all about him. There's lots more on the website. Uh, the, the next inductee was Alex G. Ballot. He born in 1932, and he, during an illustrious career spanning 50 years, Alex Ballot earned his place in a select group of industry leaders who shaped and built Noranda and Falconbridge into the most successful mining and metallurgical giants in Canadian history. He has the rare distinction of contributing to the growth of both companies, starting with Noranda, which he joined at Caspé Copper in 1954 after earning a degree in metallurgical engineering from McGill University in his home city of Montreal, Quebec, An early achievement while a shift foreman was the development while working with others of the now-famous Gaspé Puncher that improved the operating efficiency and working conditions of copper converters. Heath and Sherwood subsequently licensed this machine worldwide. Another first as a civic activity and initially as a hobby was the founding of the R. Ford of bilingual newspaper, the Gaspé Peninsula Voyageur, which served the Gaspé region for over 15 years. So a fellow newsman. So Alex G. Bellow, miner and newsman. Great to see him be inducted into the austere Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. And again, there's lots more on Alex below on the website. So the third person we have here is Hans T.F. Lundberg, who was born in 1893 and passed in 1971. And the introduction here is, "...few people have done more to introduce science and technology to mineral exploration than Hans Lundberg, a visionary pioneer in the development and application of geophysical and geochemical methods in Canada and other parts of the world." He was the first to conduct ground geophysical surveys in Canada in the 1920s, which led to two major discoveries in the Buchans area of Newfoundland. He was the first to attempt geochemical prospecting in Canada and the first to integrate geophysics and geochemistry into a multidisciplinary exploration strategy. It looks like he had the first application of airborne geophysical methods in the 1940s and was adapting geophysical instruments from aircraft. So, yeah, you can read all about... Hans Lundberg on the website. Very interesting. Finally, we have Eberhard Scherkus, also known as Ebe Scherkus, who was born in 1952. And the introduction here is the remarkable success and longevity of Agnico Eagle Mines owes much to Erbhard Eb a multifaceted geologist and professional engineer with a track record of achievement. He joined the company as a project manager in 1985 before becoming chief operating officer in 1998 and was president and COO from 2005 until he retired in 2012. During the time, he transformed Agnico Eagle from a regional single mine company into a top-performing global gold producer with nine mines in Canada, Finland, and Mexico. He also earned a reputation as a generous career mentor, environmentally responsible industry leader, and a builder of bridges with Indigenous peoples and other stakeholders in Canada and abroad. Sounds like he was born in Germany and came to Canada as an infant and was raised in Valdor, Quebec. So welcome, Yves Shirkus. So that dinner's coming up. And again, that is on January 9th, 2020. 2020, here it comes. So January 9th, 2020 at the Constitution Hall at Metro Toronto Convention Centre. And if again, if you're looking for tickets, simply go to the Mining Hall of Fame website, which is mininghalloffame.ca. And the actual page where you can buy the tickets are mininghalloffame.ca slash annual-ceremony. And also, we have a great story here on geologist Violet Smith, who, is, who has pioneered a consulting business in Guyana. The title of the story is Geologist Violet Smith Pioneer's Family-Run Consulting Business in Guyana. And it describes her growing up and kind of against the odds and everybody's advice, studying geology after high school, just about, as she says, just about everybody she knew tried to dissuade her. They'd say, quote, why don't you do something else that is more feminine, she says. Uh, and she describes uh, the, the real challenge it was to be a woman and going into geology in Guyana at that time. And as she says, you have to realize, though, as much as Guyana has a mining history that goes back for centuries, women who went into the business those days were considered, quote, bush women, or women of loose character or working women in the flesh. So undeterred, uh, Smith chose to study geology in Canada, first at a technical college in Sudbury, then at Carleton University in Ottawa, and later at Laurentian University in Sudbury. And after she graduated, uh, she spent some time at the Ontario Geological Survey and at Ontario Hydro. And at that point, though, she felt the pull of home, and she returned to Guyana and eventually set up her own consulting firm, AVA Management and Consulting Services, and served as country manager for several companies in the extractive sector. I believe she worked with oil companies as well as mining companies. So, yes, you can read all about her story. It's quite interesting. Uh, She met up with the Sheridans. Uh, She became friends with Patrick Sheridan Sr. and his wife. They met at PDAC, and they ended up doing business together. And apparently Sheridan Sr. was quite skeptical of Guyana because of nationalizations that had occurred. But the political situation improved at one point, And so Sheridan Sr. and his son Sheridan Jr. started to think about exploration in Guyana. The Sheridan-backed company went by many names, Smith says, but at the height of its success, it was known as Guyana Goldfields. And the company discovered the Rory's Knoll deposit and eventually put the Aurora gold mine into commercial production in January 2016. So yeah, as she says, it wasn't Guyana Goldfields back then, but Guyana Goldfields evolved later out of that project. And it's quite interesting, actually. She tells a little anecdote about how they were doing some drilling and there wasn't much money and one of the geologists Rory Calhoun saw something interesting it was right before Christmas and the head office in Toronto was saying not to drill the area but they wanted to drill it she decided to do it anyway she said quote it was an act of disobedience I had to give the permission to drill because I was head of country. I said, let's do it, and I'll cover you, based on the geology. The team then dispersed on vacation, and by the time it returned to work in January, the results were in, and Rory's knoll was a discovery. Quote, once we found it, the money started coming in based on the drill holes. Gotta love those little stories of defiance and then vindication. So that's, yeah, it's a really great story there. Geologist Violet Smith, Pioneer's family-run consulting business in Guyana. That's on northernminer.com. And finally, we have a metals commentary from a report uh, from the Silver Institute. And it sounds like the market sentiment on silver is sweetening. Investor sentiment has strengthened for silver as well as the wider precious metals complex in contrast with recent years' activities when many institutional investors have been skeptical towards the metal. This reflects silver's underperformance to gold over a near uninterrupted eight-year period. The gold-to-silver ratio rose from 30.5 in April 2011 to a multi-decade high of 93.5 in July 2019. Investors also saw prices surpass 50 dollars And the rapid retreat when so many were caught out. That such dramatic events are possible reflects the modest size of global silver investment, where relatively small inflows or liquidations can disproportionately affect the market leading to heightened price volatility, such as seen less than a decade ago. Another challenge facing potential silver investors is the market's depth of liquidity, including the availability of counterparts to execute significant trades. And finally, it just goes into a comparison here between the size of the gold and silver investment asset classes looking first at investor exposure on on comex as of the end of july the value of net long managed money positions in silver stood at 5.2 billion dollars which is equivalent to uh, 312.8 million ounces compared with 26.6 billion for gold So that's 5.2 billion dollars for silver and 26.6 billion dollars for gold five times higher so as the silver institute says hypothetically and assuming all else remains equal a relatively modest five percent rotation out of gold in favor of silver would see positioning in the latter rise a dramatic 25 percent. While such a move would see the gold price weaken it would have a massive impact on silver so yeah very interesting report from the silver institute we always thank them for sharing their content with us and that's under market sentiment sweetening for silver and that brings us to metal prices Mm -hmm. At metal prices, if we go to our friends at Infomine.com, we find on October fifteenth, gold is at one thousand four hundred ninety-three dollars and eighty-one cents. This is a little lower than last week's one thousand four hundred ninety-eight. Silver is at seventeen dollars and sixty-six cents, which is a little above last week's seventeen dollars and forty-nine cents per ounce. Platinum is a little higher as well at $893.67, a little higher than last week at $879.31. Palladium is really the standout number here. It's at $1,723.97, and that is almost $75 above last week's $1,651.00. Palladium is on fire and continues to be. So, this is an ongoing upward move with palladium. Where it stops, no one knows. Uh, copper, as of October 11th, and all the following uh, prices are for October 11th quotes, is at $2.62, which is six cents above last week's $2.56. Aluminum is a penny higher at 78 cents. Lead is two cents higher at 99 cents compared to last week's 97. Nickel also continues to flirt with its 52-week highs at $8.16, which is $0.04 cents above last week's $8.12. Tin is at $7.46, $0.04 cents higher. Cobalt uh, has sort of plateaued a little bit. It's at $16.10. Last week is at $16.33. And Zinc is $0.05 cents higher at $1.11. Coming up, we have Artem nets of Charet Gold and... And he talks to Northern miner, acting editor-in-chief, Trish Saywell, and they discuss mining for gold in the former Soviet Union. And it's a fascinating discussion. And, yeah, I mean, where else are you going to find This kind of specificity on mining, this sort of granular look at what's going on in, say, Russian mining. So a quick bio on Artem Volinets. He joined Charit Gold as non-executive director in March 2018 and as chief executive officer. He made a name for himself as the CEO of Russian's N-Plus Group from December 2010 until June 2013, where he implemented strategies to make the group a global leader in mining, metallurgy and energy, Prior to that, he was Senior Vice President of Strategy at Siberian Ural's Aluminum company and played a role in the U.S. $20 billion three-way merger of Swell, Roussel, and Glencore's aluminum assets to create UC Roussel, where he worked as deputy CEO and director for corporate strategies. VoliNets also helped orchestrate UC Roussel's $2 billion initial public offering on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. He left the M Plus Group about six years ago and started looking for opportunities in the fragmented gold sector, consolidating small, typically privately held companies in Russia and other countries in Central Asia. So we hope you enjoy the interview. And we'll see you on the other side.
1: Good morning, Artem. Thanks for joining our podcast today. I think it's fair to say that many North Americans had never heard of Chirat Gold until last year when it tried to buy Sentara Gold's Kumtor Gold Mine in Kyrgyzstan for $800 million in cash and shares. And then when Sintera wasn't interested, it, you tried to buy the entire company. And after that attempt, uh, you then acquired a mine in Armenia from Polymetel International. It's called Kapan Mine. And that acquisition really turned your company from a developer into a producer. So can you tell us a little bit about Chirat? I know it's focused on consolidating the gold industry in Russia and in countries that were once part of the former Soviet Union. But we would like to hear your own description.
2: Thank you. Charat. Is uh, a very new company from what it has been up to about eighteen uh, months ago. The company went through the radical transformation, uh, which started with a new vision uh, to build the leading gold producer, focused on the territories of the former Soviet Union, and with a strategy to get there through organic and non-organic growth. And we started with uh, with the top. We changed all the management. Uh, we changed all the board. Now we have 340 years of global mining experience uh, accumulated at the board and management level. We have more than 150 years of experience working in the former Soviet Union. And as you correctly said, we have transformed the company from being a developer to being a producer. Today we have three assets 10 million ounces of gold in the ground and resources. The three assets are in two jurisdictions, producing mine, Kapan, that we indeed acquired from Polymetal at the end of January this year. That is on track to generate $20 million in EBITDA uh, on a run-rate basis in the fourth quarter of this year, which means that we acquired that for two and a half times in We have one mine in construction, in early construction, called Tulcubash. That is expected to produce first gold in 2021, and be on a run rate basis of 60 million dollars EBITDA on 2022. So we plan to quadruple our EBITDA from 20 million to 80 million in three years. And then we have a third asset called Kuzultash, which is actually half of our resources, uh, 5.4 million ounces. Uh, at uh, close to 4 grams of gold. And the plan to develop this asset obviously will take a bit longer. But once it's in production in 5 to 7 years, we will be in a position to produce uh, half a million ounces from the existing set of assets. That is organic growth only. And obviously there is a money on top of that, but uh, we'll report on it when uh, and if it happens. The important bit that we uh, want to emphasize that we have put an, a very experienced team together uh, to develop the assets that we have under Belt. We have grown from roughly $110 million enterprise value to probably around $250 million enterprise value in just about 12 months' time. And we plan to continue to do the same going forward.
1: And are you looking at more assets in that part of the world? Have you signed any non-disclosure agreements, or what are you looking at now?
2: nm is an integral part of our strategy, but uh, as I mentioned, prefer to report on that uh, even when we have something to report on. It is something that we constantly work for. We're looking for opportunities which uh, uh, can provide us optimization potential from better running those assets, as we see now with CapAda. That can give us exploration potential, uh, similar to what we see in uh, Tulkubash. And then uh, that will add value to our portfolio. But again, uh, the best way to report on those is when we have something to talk about.
1: Pursuing the the idea of of the management and its deep uh, experience in the region, I mean, why do you think you're better operators in that part of the world than some of your predecessors or other competitors?
2: We are a British company, which is the biggest British investor in the Kyrgyz Republic, and second largest British investor in Armenia after HSBC. But we are very much local in those places where we are currently. So we do not send a team of experts who uh, position themselves differently from the local platforms. In Armenia now, uh, under our management, we have locally one expert. So 99.99% out of the thousand people that we have there are uh, local Armenian nationals. In Kyrgyz Republic, more than 90% of our uh, workforce and the management are Kyrgyz nationals. And if you add to that uh, the nationals from the neighboring countries, Uzbekistan, Pakistan, uh, that that's getting to the same number as in, uh, as in Armenia pretty quickly. We are local there because we have strong ties with the local communities where we not only provide uh, direct employment, but we also provide indirect employment and benefits. For example, in Kyrgyz Republic, we established a student factory that produces uniforms uh, for corrupt employees, etc., etc. There is a number of other businesses that also recognize us that we help to create. Uh, We are very much local in these jurisdictions and we will continue to be local as we expect uh, to go forward. So combination of uh, local connections uh, and understanding of the culture together with international mine expertise, in our view, is the best way to run the asset smoothly uh, and unlock value for our shareholders.
1: And you yourself have a, a very uh, big Rolodex of contacts in that part of the world. I mean, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about yourself. I mean, I know you joined Chirac Gold uh, as a non-executive director last year, but you would made a name for yourself as the CEO of Russia's EN Plus Group. And then you uh, were senior vice president of strategy at Siberian Urals Aluminum Company. And you played a role in the $20 billion three-way merger of Sual, Rusal, and Glencore and their Illumina assets to create UC Roussel. So you've got a very deep background in the, in the industry. Can you talk a little bit more about yourself?
2: I'm just a foremost, I'm part of the team, which I mentioned before. And our core philosophy at Chorat is that only teams can achieve the best result. It's not really dependent on one person, whether it's me or the chairman or chief operating officer, or T4, et cetera, et cetera. But working together, in the complementary roles. That's what we can do. And we have a very impressive background of uh, almost everyone that we have on the team now. And so Martin Anderson, our chairman, has spent 25 years before the Soviet Union, from Russia, where he founded the bank, very successful, he sold it to UBS. Uh, Derek Cooper, our uh, chief operations officer, has more than 30 years experience in running mines. C4, and operating markets. Chris singer our CEO for the CEO of Neustar, a listed company and was with Tresigura, um, and Black uh, Cosmetic and and the more than have done before. As the list goes on. As for myself, I did spend quite a bit of time in, in my previous life helping to consume data uh, I wasn't there in the 90s. I was working and studying in the United States and the uh, United Kingdom and working in uh, London. Uh, but I got back to Russia in the 2000s and um, I uh, did help uh, uh, my fellow partners and uh, the shareholders of companies in the Romanian sector to convert uh, what was a fragmented industry into one company. So I did learn the benefits. Consolidation game, rollout game. And when I resigned, more than five years ago already, from Aim Plus, I was looking to another sector where we can apply the same consolidation strategy. And the gold sector in the former Soviet Union is uh, very much right by consolidation. Um, It is very fragmented. Um, You have only four or five public companies, uh, mostly traded in London. Uh, the rest of the sector is in the private hands. Uh, there are no big companies other than two Russian companies with over the million of production. The rest is much smaller. And if you step back and think about the major traditional gold regions of the world, the uh, 40% of the drilling globally uh, over the last 18 months was done in America, in the gold sectors in America, so in North and South America. Another 40% of tourism uh, was performed in uh, Australia and Asia. And only 1% was done on territories of the former Soviet Union. And that is the 15% of the world's landmass, 22,000 square kilometers, if not more. So it's it's a massive, uh, unexplored region, which is is 20 years behind the rest of the world, with significantly less uh, competition and no big uh, major spread. So, we believe it is possible uh, to build a uh, strong uh, public company uh, with a proper system, proper corporate governance. On that one, by the way, we have a fully independent board, five independent directors and two executives on the board, which is unusual for the listed company. We believe it's possible to build a proper public company that will Operate assets in those jurisdictions with uh, the best use of uh, global mining expertise, operating expertise, modern exploration technologies, and uh, extract gold. Gold is gold. Uh, and uh, if we manage to keep our costs down, which is possible across the jurisdiction because a lot of the, the, gold, the bigger currencies uh, do help in that regard as well. Um, the cash flows that we derive from those gold mines are the same cash flows whether they are in North America, Africa, or Australia. And we uh, think that our investors in our publicly listed activity fund would benefit from this. And I think on that point, another important thing to know is that they all shareholders, all, all the management and all the boards uh, are not only beneficiaries of the stocks and options program that we put together, the same program. Uh, but we also all bought shares in the market. And uh, we agreed that we will be locked up for three years and we agreed that we will not pay ourselves cash bonuses. So we as shareholders think very carefully about everything we do uh, that may affect the share price because our likelihood uh, very much depends on that. And our interests are very much aligned with, uh, with our shareholders. So together, management and board owns about 45% of the company. Mm. And I think that's the best alignment that one can think
1: of. This may be a tough uh, question to answer, but where would you like to see the company in five years from now? What's it going to look like, in your opinion?
2: Five to six years from now, I'd like to see all of our current assets producing, benefiting from the massive resources that we have. And the potential for that production is uh, close to half a million ounces, uh, as I mentioned. We would like to add the, the same amount uh, from acquisitions, if not more. Uh, we, we, we see the companies to be uh, a liquid stock and a major exchange uh, in London that is followed up by the blue chief investors uh, and have the best uh, corporate governance and overall ESG practices that we have now mastered in, in the sites where we operate to be expanded to our other assets that we will develop and have acquired.
1: Just getting back to your uh, attempt to, to buy the KUMTRA mine from Sintera, I mean, it didn't happen. Uh, were there any lessons from that experience? In order
2: to get one deal done, we have to work on five opportunities in Sentara. We didn't buy a Kuntur, uh, we bought uh, KAPAN. And was three other opportunities that we worked on. Uh, the news of these uh, discussions were not limited to the press, as it happens uh, with uh, content. The increase in fair share price in those discussions were held uh, demonstrates that we were right in terms of the value and the opportunity. So, one has to work on several deals uh, to get one done.
1: Any comment on the current gold price and whether it makes it easier or harder to do deals?
2: We, as a producer, uh, must focus on the costs. Uh, we live it up to the financial investors to speculate on the gold prices. So, our focus is on the other side of the equation.
1: Is there anything else that you wanted to add about charat?
2: Oh, charat in Kyrgyz language means water course, like Andalusian, it runs very fast. Uh, we have we've been riding fast and we will continue to do so. The company has been totally transformed over the last 18 months. I do not think that the market has uh, adopted an understanding yet. Uh, We still trade at a very significant discount to many, many peers. In terms of enterprise value to ounce of resource, we are below $20 versus an average of $300 for the similar companies in the same geographies. So, I think Sharap is a is a growth story, and we will encourage your listeners uh, to follow. Uh, we are working very hard to deliver, uh, because we, as shareholders, uh, are keen, and that's something that we must do.
1: Okay. Well, thanks, Artem. That's uh, that was really interesting, and I look forward to following your company and watching it uh, watching it grow, and and hopefully we'll talk again soon on the podcast.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak to you as always.
0: That's all for this episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank you for being a part of it each and every week. And hopefully we see some of you at the Progressive Mind Forum, which is coming up on October 16th this week, Wednesday. And uh, yeah, that's in Toronto. So if you want more information on that, just go to northernminer.com slash PMF 2019. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Take care.